Hi, this is David Moorfield from LearnToBuyCryptocurrency.com. In this segment, I'm going to be talking about the SEC, ICOs, and my expectations for the future. So I've talked to a lot of people this last week who don't understand what an ICO is and why it is that it's important if the SEC sees it as a security. So first of all, let's talk about what an ICO is. Basically, an ICO is when a token or coin is uh, presented for sale before it's out on the exchanges. So it's the initial coin offering, but many times they're not coins. A lot of times they're tokens. And the difference is coins have their own network. Tokens are built on somebody else's network. So if you're familiar with uh, Ethereum tokens, those are built on Ethereum. And I would say a lot of the ICOs that people see are going to be on Ethereum. Um, so when these ICOs are, are put out, a lot of times it's not just a, hey, we're going to have an ICO sale right now, and then down the road it's going to hit the exchanges. It is, there's going to be a private sale, and then there might be a first round ICO sale. And then if it makes it to second round, if they haven't reached their funding cap. And really what this is, it's a tool to raise capital in order to fund research and development of new technologies. Now, this is very important to understand that 20 years ago, if you had a technology you wanted to work on developing, in order to get funding, you would go find venture capitalists. The struggle to get in front of them is, would be a big part of that. That takes time. And then once you get in front of them, getting them to invest. So raising money took a very long time, unless... Obviously, you just had the right connections. Now, Kickstarter, many people are familiar with that. That is a way to crowdsource funding, but that's very small scale. Now, these technology companies can raise 30 to $50 million in a matter of a couple of months by putting out a website, putting out a white paper on what they plan to do, throwing out a roadmap, here's our plan, here's when we're going to do these things, this is what funding we need, and they, they do their ICO, they get the funding, and then eventually they trade that on the exchanges. So in, in many instances, these ICOs are much like stocks, which puts them in the same category as a security that they, they meet the Howey test for a security. So the SEC is basically saying, as, as an American citizen, you cannot buy and sell securities without a license to trade securities. That's been federal law for a very long time. And 
the definition of what a security is was actually determined by the Howey test, which was defined in a Supreme Court case in 1946 called SEC v. Howey. And basically, if it's an investment of money, there's an expectation of profits from the investment. The investment of money is in common enterprise and any profit from the efforts uh, of the the investment goes back to the investor, then that basically makes it a security. So in 1946, we did not have a global economy where somebody could put something out on the internet and in a matter of two months raise $30 million. It just didn't exist. But with technology today, for all I know, you could be around the world listening to me right now. So um, this is this is what has changed, <laughs> you know, in this 80 years or so is, okay, the SEC thinks they can regulate something, but it's on a global scale. Well, their reach is only here in the United States. So if you're a technology company and you need funding and you want to issue an ICO, basically you need to move outside of the United States with your project and raise funds elsewhere or have to deal with all of the regulations from the SEC. And currently the way it is, basically if you're a U.S. citizen, you can't really get involved in ICOs which means you can't invest in order to make money. So you're kind of being strangled on that end. If you're a technology project, you really can't issue an ICO without a lot of regulatory steps to go through. And by the time you get through that, somebody else has already beat you to the punch and you're way behind. And with how fast technology is being developed these days, one month is like a year back in the 40s. It's huge. So, you know, if you figure that my first computer was a 386 running DOS, and I remember taking 1.4 meg floppies and booting off of those, and then... Actually, I think they were smaller than that. The two and a half inch floppies were 1.4. I'm sure somebody can correct me on that, but they were tiny little floppies that, I mean, literally were just a little film of magnet, magnetic film. And, uh, you know, we've gone from that to now my cell phone has 256 gigs of memory in it. It's crazy. So as long as you understand that technology is moving faster and faster all the time, then you can see the urgency for these projects when they have a technology that they want to develop and they need the capital, they need to be able to move quickly. 
And so that means they pretty much need to move out of the United States. Well, <laughs> the U.S. is not exactly graduating programmers at the same velocity that India or China or the Philippines or uh, Malaysia. I mean, you go to some of those countries, some of the best programmers in the world. Well, there's not a whole lot of, Amer of Americans in that in that top uh, slice of programmers. I'll just leave it at that. So we're not exactly winning the war on education. Then we're strangling the fundraising capital for these projects, forcing them to go other places. We've already gotten rid of manufacturing jobs. Now we're looking at, we're restricting research and development to the point to where they have to move outside of the country. And before long, I think Silicon Valley is going to be the new Death Valley. Because these companies that need to raise funds without an angel investor, they're they're pretty much going to have to move. Now, Malta, they're open arms. They're like, hey, cool, come on over. We're crypto friendly. Switzerland, they're trying to get ICO projects to move to Switzerland. Why? Well, when you have programmers that are working on something that they've raised millions of dollars and they're getting paid very well, they spend money, they buy cars, they buy houses, they buy furniture. You're going to see those areas have a huge economic influx of money. The local economy will thrive. And whatever area they left, well, that's going to shrivel. It's kind of like sunlight and water. You know, you take the sunlight and water that this part of the garden was getting and you put it on the other side of the garden, that side of the garden's going to wither away. That's going to be the United States in 10 to 15 years if we don't start changing our laws. Now, in 1946, the Howey test, yeah, that may have made some sense. But, and it probably still does for stocks. We're not talking about stocks. We're talking about cryptocurrencies. We're talking about tokens that can be transferred from one person to another around the world in 30 seconds. That's huge. That's fast. And if the United States cannot keep up with the pace and we're going to keep these restrictions, we're only going to hurt ourselves. Ten years down the road, when this finally gets up in front of Congress and they finally get around to, oh, gee, Silicon Valley looks like the new Detroit. Too late, buddy. They need to make changes now. Or we're going to lose a whole lot of jobs. Technology is driving tomorrow. I mean, 
10 years ago, who would have thought you would have a refrigerator that can email you when you're out of milk? They have it now. It's kind of nuts. I was at the dentist recently and they offered, uh, they offered to sell me a toothbrush that connects via Bluetooth to my phone. And I was like, I don't need my toothbrush telling my phone when I brush my teeth. Sorry. There's just some things that I find a little creepy. But it, it is something to think about. If we're going to restrict the technology sector to the point to where they have to leave the United States in order to be successful, then we have some serious issues here in the U.S. that we need to fix. So I just want to put that out as kind of some food for thought because as cryptocurrencies leave the dial-up stage, as I call it, and move more towards maybe a DSL stage, if you will. You know, it used to be that when I wanted to connect to the internet, I had a 5400 baud modem. I would have to redial and redial and finally get a connection to the bulletin board I wanted to go to. And then inevitably somebody in the house would pick up the phone 10 minutes into downloading one tiny little text file. And 15 minutes later, I could reestablish the connection and it was a nightmare. And uh, for some users, cryptocurrency is kind of in that dial-up stage. I mean, if you're not technically savvy, crypto right now is very difficult to deal with. You've got all these hashes and long alphanumeric sequences that you're having to send and enter and if you send it to the wrong place it's gone forever but you know it's in its infancy it's being developed there's really exciting things like the ethereum name service instead of let's say a 0x and then 40 characters you can just pay davidmorefield.eth and it'll come right to me. I think that's really exciting because that's the way our, our brains work. We work with names. We don't, we don't really, at least I don't think in alphanumeric hashes, but hey, you know, if you do, that's awesome. But, Going back to, you know, crypto, as crypto progresses, um, it's going to bring about change in the world. And that change, in my opinion, is going to have the level of impact that the Internet did. It might even have a greater impact. That remains to be seen. But one thing is for sure, if the U.S. restricts people from being able to participate, to invest, to get involved, we're going to be left behind. 
And the people that are here that have the money to get involved, they're going to get tired of getting hassled. And they're going to take their money and go other places. So, again, just something to think about. But at the end of the day, um, this is something that I think needs to be a priority for Congress to look at now. We wait too long. I mean, even right now, it's <laughs> we're kind of late. Because it's going to take them a couple of years to even wrap their mind around it. I mean, if <laughs> if you saw, if you even caught some of Congress talking to Mark Zuckerberg, it's obvious that some of these people can't even use a calculator. Some of them use Facebook, but they don't they don't understand it at all. So. To get them to understand how cryptocurrency might impact the global economy, it's probably going to be like explaining rocket science to a six-year-old. But I believe eventually they may get it. It's just a question of will it be too late. So that being said, um, I would love to hear your thoughts, your questions, and... Uh, you can email me at David Moore. Uh, no, let's see. David at FluffyShopMe.com. That's the easiest email address I have. So it's just David at FluffyShopMe.com. That's my photography site. And uh, if you want to check out my photography, that'd be cool. But, um, you know, if you have questions that you'd like me to research and address in a podcast, I would absolutely love to do that. I also use Anchor to make these podcasts. So if you're on Anchor and you would like to have a two-way conversation for a podcast, let me know. We can certainly do that. So I want to thank you for listening, and I look forward to hearing from you. Have a good day. You've been listening to David Moorfield from LearnToBuyCryptocurrency.com. And if you would like more information on how to buy cryptocurrency or how to research crypto, uh, feel free to check out my website. If you have questions, you can email me at david at fluffyshopme.com. You can find me on Twitter at fluffyshopme. And if you're just now getting into crypto, and haven't set up a Coinbase account, I would love it for you to use my referral link on learntobuycryptocurrency.com. Uh, Coinbase rewards me with $10 of Bitcoin anytime somebody joins through my link. So that's always greatly appreciated. That goes towards buying equipment from my podcast, my YouTube channel, and the other efforts that, that I make on my website. So thanks again for listening, and I hope you'll subscribe.